What's happening, Crosswalk Chattanooga? What? That's it? Come on, Crosswalk Chattanooga. That's so awesome. Oh, we're so excited. It's so good to be here. And just so you know, this is the first time we've tried this. We wanted main campus, we wanted Redlands to experience what you guys experience every week. So we're actually live streaming this and live stream. We're a little bit off time-wise because you guys start too early for us there. That stupid timeline that's like 20 minutes away um, causes us issues. But um, so they're going to be watching online. They're going to be watching this service as well, this sermon as well. So um, so welcome to Crosswalk 9, 1030 and noon. If you guys are seeing me, praise God. It's good to be with you all the way from Chattanooga. And you should see what's happening here. God is moving in the Chattanooga area. And you guys came out. So thank you for that. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. One thing I want you to think about and know about, know about, um, Crosswalk is actually doing a trip to Israel, Jordan, and Greece this summer. It's from June 19 to July 9, if you do all three pieces of the trip. And you can go to Crosswalk slash destinations and see it, because we'd love to have some people representing Crosswalk Chattanooga come on the trip with us. Right now, it looks like we've got between 15 and 25 people who are almost committed. Um, but if you want more information on that, that's on the website. And and we feel bad. Just for the record, we sometimes forget we have children. Um, like, we left you guys in the car with the window cracked. And so sometimes we're like, oh no, we've got kids. So we've, we've been advertising that for like three weeks. We feel bad, but we want you to have that opportunity as well. So it's crosswalkvillage.com slash destinations. And um, you can get all the information on the trip and all that sort of thing. So we want to, I want to personally invite all of you um, to come, which would be amazing if you all came, because uh, we have to get lots of buses and stuff. Anyway, thank you for being here. Why don't we pray as we begin this morning? Uh, Lord of grace, you are, you are overwhelming what you do. It's amazing to be able to cross the country and come to a community that feels like home, that is um, a community of belonging. It's a welcoming place that opens its arms wide. Lord, so as we open your word a little bit today, as we spend some time thinking about what it means to be the new humanity, we ask that you would um, infuse these words with your spirit, infuse these hearts with your power, um, open up our ears, open up our eyes so that we may see the world that you are trying to create through us. We thank you for that, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you guys for being here. Uh, we have one premise on this series. You've heard it for the last two weeks, and the premise is simply this. As God interacts with humanity, something new is made. The first week we talked about dreamers and the kind of dreamers that we would be if we could just lean into what God has for us and the fact that God has always been a dreamer. Second week we talked about how we are unifiers, how we swing our doors open wide, we wish for no walls, and we bring people together so that we all might be one under the kingdom of God. And today we're talking about innovators. The fact that the new humanity are full of innovative ideas, new ideas, things to try, things to fail at, things to succeed at. But let's start with a theology of innovation. I think that makes sense. I mean, the question I guess we could ask is, why do we need new things? I mean, if things seem to be fine, everything seems to be working, um, especially in church, right? Everything's good. I don't know, are, do, are you people who at one point went to a church where you could sing the same song when you were five and when you were 25? Nothing changed. They didn't change the order of service. They didn't change the way it looked. Same old lady was playing the organ. 
and you all now you all know exactly that lady you have her in your head and you're like oh yeah maple she was awesome um and she was and is awesome if she's still alive because she's 114 years old now still playing the same thing um too often too often um we think that things are are fine the way they are but the reason we need new things the reason we need to innovate even under the kingdom of god is the fact that sometimes old things stop working they just don't work as well as they used to and if you don't believe me take a look at the cell phone in your pocket i guarantee you it's not the first one you got very few of you, there may be a couple of you, very few of you are still using that Motorola StarTac, right? They flipped up and everyone was like, oh, that's so cool. And it was not, but we thought it was. We, you know, and the problem with us is that um, we're such a consumer society now that we actually get rid of things before they become old, before they stop working. You just, your friend opens up the new phone and you're like, and you look at your phone, you're like, this, why do I even have you? You don't you're not that right and that's maybe not exactly the case for innovation but innovation keeps moving us things forward but when it comes to faith when it comes to christianity when we talk about innovation we're actually talking about traditioned innovation a traditioned innovation is an, a way of thinking and a way of being that holds the past and the future intention not an opposition right it it is crucial to the growth and vitality of christian institutions that we understand that tradition and innovation go hand in hand. Tradition and innovation is a way of thinking and living that points towards the future in light of the past. You see, we understand that the past and the future belong together because what God has given us in the past is important. Tradition and innovation is a habit of being that requires both a deep fidelity to the tradition that has borne us to the presence and yet a radical openness to the innovation that will carry us forward. And listen, God innovates. God innovates all the time. There are so many ways in which God has innovated and we'll just take a thematic look at it. And if we began anywhere with God's, with God's innovation, the first place we have to begin is creation, right? Creation, because creation, in creation, in the concept of creation, we know that we cannot make ourselves. And in fact, in the face of the modern claims of self-autonomy and self-made people and a radical freedom from limits and the like, the book of Genesis lays, bears the, lays bare the fact that we have always been preceded. Something always came before. And in fact, we say it in Genesis 1-1 or in John 1-1, in the beginning. We say in the beginning, but it wasn't the beginning because the next word is in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You see, we are contingent beings. So the fact that we even exist, that's an innovation of God. We weren't, and then we became. We are an innovation. We don't think of ourselves that way, but we are one of God's innovations. We're the ones who weren't and now are. God made something new. And when God made something new in us, he gave us this amazing place to live, this amazing relationship with him, but things changed, didn't they? Adam and Eve had a problem. See, Adam and Eve, so you see, they wanted more. They didn't trust God. And the fall meant that something had to be done. The fall 
also points us directly to the necessity of innovation. Tradition is no longer sufficiently sustaining in itself. You see, we cannot simply declare in imitations of God's view of the original act of creation that this is good because things aren't good anymore. And therefore, we cannot fully rest. We must toil and we must move on. We must create new things. The character of the fallen creation forces us to improvise and it forced God to improvise as well. You see, when things change, in order to continue to do business, we need to change. An example from business, and maybe I've said it before and I apologize if I have, but an example from business that is so abundantly clear that crisis creates innovation is the Netflix, Netflix blockbuster case study. Two guys who work at Blockbuster go to the CEO and go, listen, hey, we figured out a new way. Rather than just renting people from brick and mortar, what we can do is we can send them DVDs and they can keep them for as long as they want. Do you remember that? Like you get them and then they'd be in your drawer for months and you send them back and you wouldn't get punished. You remember Blockbuster, right? You keep that thing 15 minutes too long. And those of you who are a little bit older when you didn't rewind the tape, punishment. And that's what Blockbuster said. They were like, no, 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 no. Our, our business model is a punishment model. We can't just have people keeping DVDs forever. What would we do? And the guys, the guys who eventually became Netflix said, no, I think we can do it differently. Went to them four times. Blockbuster was like, no, we just, we don't do that. When Netflix was trying to explain to them, Netflix, the guys from Netflix were trying to explain to them, listen, you don't know your business. You're not in the punishment business. You're in the content delivery business. The problem was Blockbuster thought they were in the punishment business. They thought they were in the DVD business or the VHS business. Netflix understood. And because of that crisis that they saw coming, they were able to change the business model and create a new business. By the way, when was the last time you went to Blockbuster? In fact, the last one actually closed last year in Alaska. They're slow and up there. It takes a while for things to get up there. Right? The last Blockbuster closed in Alaska last year. But I guarantee you, on most of your phones, you have Netflix, right? Because they understood what business they were in. God understands what business he was in, so he wasn't afraid of innovation. He wasn't afraid to change the process. And we see this even more clearly in election. This is another innovation that came from God. The fact that God would choose people, Noah, Abraham, Moses, these pillars of faith, they were, uh, they were used because they were available. And sometimes when, and when crisis drives us to innovation, it just, you need available people. You see, when God elects you, you understand that you are still an innovation to God because God can use you in new and exciting ways. And when God elects somebody, he's always using design thinking because he always begins with the end in sight. If you're an engineer, if you're an architect, if you're somebody who sees the end and then begins to work backwards through that process in order to get the people where they need to be, you understand what this means. God always began with the end in sight. Genesis 12.1 tells us the story of God calling Abraham. The Lord said, he said, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. God knew Abraham didn't. See, he started with the ending. He knew where he was sending Abraham. But for Abraham, he wanted him to be trusting. Because God was saying, listen, man, I need you to trust in the design that I've created. Be available, but trust in the design that I've created for you. Now, um, I don't know, some of you may rock climb. I used to do it a lot in college. And I remember the first time I'm up on this multiple pitch climb and I'm, I'm scared because it's really high and I'm not very strong. 
still. And I remember my, my legs started to shake and, and you know, it's just bouncing up and down and my arms are shaking. And my buddy was like, hey man, trust your shoes. That's what they were built for. They were designed for this, trust your shoes. And I'm like, they're on this ledge that's this big. And he's like, trust your shoes, man, it's okay. And when I finally trusted my shoes, I realized, oh, this is what they were made for. In this case, we have to trust God's design on where he's going. Abraham had to, Moses had to, David had to, Solomon had to, we have to. And then we see redemption. Redemption is another innovation from God. Because something was broken at the fall, something needed to be fixed, and there needed to be a way to fix that. There was a need for this greater innovation, an innovation that would change the status of those in God's eyes and in His and in our eyes as well. And we see it in Genesis 3.15, way at the beginning. This is God's design thinking, way at the beginning. It says, I will cause hostility, enmity, hatred between you and the woman. He's talking to the snake now. And he says, between her, your offspring, and her offspring, he will strike your head. He will crush you, and you'll just strike at his heel. This is the first time we see God has a plan for the redemption of the world. And this is it. He needed the innovation in order to save us. Jesus being the most important and powerful innovation. All that is consummated in Jesus on the cross. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. You see, in the consummation, we see all of it coming together. The consummation points to the hope that creation and redemption will finally coincide, that the world's traditions will, as it were, catch up with the reality of a cosmos remade, that God's founding innovation and tradition will be with his most radical innovation, which is Jesus Christ. You see, the new humanity innovates because that is the image of God. If we are made in the image of God, then we're innovators, looking for new ways to partner with the innovative God. So I ask you this question today, will our churches become blockbusters? I mean, there's lots of talk about relevancy, right? Oh, if you put a set of drums up, if your guitar player looks cool, our guitar players look cool, <laughs> right? If the genre is right, if you got good coffee, all those are great accoutrements but I don't know that they're necessarily innovations. The gospel does compel innovation in order to continue its reach. You see the guys in Netflix, what did they know? They knew what business they were in. Do we know what business we are in? Because friends, for all the time and effort that we put to come together, we are not in the church business. We are not in the business of just simply growing a group of people that come together at a certain time for a certain for a certain experience even though that is part of it that is not the business that we're in if that's the business that we're in we can become very good at it we can even create we can even monetize it and create a great deal of income and economy through that but that is not the business that we're in the business that we're in is the gospel business the people might know Jesus Christ you don't need a church for it but if the church helps then it's a positive thing you see, when, when, when the inception of Crosswalk came and we started to build all of this, and as we started to talk about can we do it in a different site, can we do that, there, there's so many people who misunderstand, so many people who go, oh, you figured it out, the right look, the right smell, the right feel. Yeah, of course, but that's not the business that we're in. That's the fun part. The business that we're in is that people may know Jesus Christ. The business that we're in is that they may understand that God is madly in love with them, that he is relentlessly pursuing them. 
And, and if, if we think, if we think that the way we do it, the process that we do it is the only way, first of all, we're arrogant and we need to shut up. Second of all, we're foolish to believe that God can only use us in one way. God innovates. And just for the record, the churches that we've all gone to before, God innovated those churches as well. Sometimes they just, you know, wear out their welcome. And so we have to take a new look at this. But I always want to have in mind, I always want to be a Netflix. Because you know what happened with Netflix? When all of you stopped using your DVDs and started using your, your digital tablets to watch TV, you know what they did? They went, that sounds good, and they pivoted. And they began to deliver content in a new way because they knew they weren't in the, the mailing DVD business. They were in the content delivery business. So do I think crosswalks are going to look the same 10 years from now? Oh, goodness, I hope not. Because if they do, then we haven't been listening to the innovative God. But what they will be doing, I tell you this, or I will not be a part of this organization. They will be continuing to give hope. They will be continuing to share the gospel. They will be continuing to unrelentingly tell people that God is madly in love with them. Because if we're not doing that, there is no good for us. Shut us down. Close us down. Keep your money in your pockets because we're not doing what God told us to do. And just for the record, this makes people nervous because if you hear, I didn't say anything about Seventh-day Adventism. And you go, well, oh, wait. But our job is to give the Seventh-day Adventist message. It is the gospel. If it's not the gospel, what are we doing? The Seventh-day Adventist message and lifestyle and expression of Christianity, expression of that gospel is a beautiful thing. But if it does supersede the gospel, we're in danger of no longer being Christians. And that's not okay. You see, it seems to me that at the intersection of Seventh-day Adventism expression of the gospel and the gospel is the place we want to be. Do we believe in the Sabbath? Of course. Why would we diminish it? In fact, when Christ is imbued into all those cultural and doctrinal expressions of who we are as Seventh-day Adventists, those things become vibrant. They cease to be words on a page. And they become overwhelmingly well-lived lives and expressions of Jesus. But if Jesus is not in them, we are a weird group of people hanging out. I know we use the word peculiar, but you know what that means. In 1860, that word meant you're a bunch of weirdos. And what's awesome is that we sort of leaned into it. We were like, peculiar. Yes, we are. Right? The only problem is we got really enamored with our peculiarity and forgot about the gospel at times. When we do that, God can't inhabit our churches because we never invited him anymore. I never want to be the one who's like, God, we got this. I think we've sorted this out. We know how to do this. We're so good at this that if you want to come, I guess, every day we come together, every song that we sing, everything that we do has to be an expression of the gospel overflowing in our lives. If it's not that, I don't know what we're doing. You got up, got dressed, took a shower, and came in the rain for no good reason unless the gospel is being expressed. Unless God is overwhelmingly overflowing his love for us every single time. And we are doing that to one another, creating a community of belonging. If that's what we're doing, then this innovation that God has seen fit for us to do here through Crosswalk Redlands, through Crosswalk Chattanooga, through Crosswalk Foothills, which is our next spot. And we've got many lined up because God is doing something through this movement right now. And praise God for it.
but it is only because we've decided that first and foremost, we submit to the most high king, to the God who loves us unrelentingly. And that is why we gather. And I don't know, but it quickens my heart. It's amazing to fly across the country and come home and worship with people that feel like they want the gospel as well. And I don't care if you've heard it a million times. If it's getting old, you haven't heard it once because that is the unending fire of God. You know, the problem is we've gotten our, our, our heads mixed up. You see, we have a tendency to fall in love with the process of how we do things. When you fall in love with the process of how you do things or the product that it creates, well, then what you've done is you've fallen in love with your own innovation and you won't innovate anymore because you think it's perfect, you think it's right, you think you can't change it. And by the way, churches have been doing this for 2,000 years. We got it sorted and then somebody came into a church and said, I like to sing. And like, you can sing, but only one note, right? And they began to chant. And finally, there was some guy who was like, you know what? And I do say guy because they only let guys do this. Some guy was like, I'd like to put in a second note. Right? And there were councils, right? Theological treaties written. Can we, can we change the note? Then when the third guy showed up and said, what do you think about harmony? You know what the church said of the devil? Right? Because that's our go-to. That's new. That's different. That's of the devil. Why does the devil get new stuff? We think God like finished on the sixth day, on the seventh day, he was like, whew, I'm winded, I'm never doing that again. Nothing new ever, that's it, we're done. That's not how God works, right? And so then there was harmony, and you've heard those Gregorian chants where the harmony is amazing, right? Oh, it's amazing. And then somebody said, you know what? We should sing a song that's kind of popular, and we'll put God words to it. And people were like, oh, that's of the devil, right? And Martin Luther just never listened because he was the most stubborn person on the planet. And so he's like, no, this is the tune I like. I'm going to sing it for you. A mighty fortress is our God. And they're like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Because we've been singing that in the bars. But we like that song. God has been innovating through people since Jesus ascended to heaven. I think about even in the first century, right? where the, the, the disciples, now apostles, are telling the story of Jesus. And I think about, I think about you know, one of, their, one of their nephews who's heard the story a lot, who are like, Bartholomew, can you tell the story different, uncle? And he's like, what do you mean? Why don't you tell it in the, in the third person? And Bartholomew's like, that's not what we do. That's of the devil. And Bartholomew's, no, same story. Just tell it a little different. Maybe use some different words. Because those words that you're using, us young kids, we don't think about that anymore. We feel different about it. Use some words that don't make sense. In fact, some of us don't even speak Aramaic anymore. Oh, well, maybe I should preach in a different language. Listen, marry the mission. Of course you should. The mission to love well, the mission to express the gospel through Jesus Christ and through our communities. Of course, marry the mission. That's never going to change. And good leadership says, marry the mission. That's what you're committed to do. But date the process. Because that may wear out. That may change. If the communities that we build through the crosswalk movement, if the communities that we build become static, 
then God will have to use someone else. God will have to use a different group of people who are willing to see what he's doing new. Because to innovate is to reach out to the hand of God. Because if God is constantly working, if God is constantly moving, if God is constantly innovating, then it's important for us to know that if we're going to do the same thing, we are partnering with God. No new innovation happens completely of our own. It's God-inspired. It's God-compelled. Every time I say that phrase, I think. I think about that Sistine Chapel picture. Let me give you my experience with it. I was about nine years old. We had been in, um, we'd been in Rome touring around, and we'd been at the Vatican Museum. We had done one full day in the Vatican Museum. I'm nine. My dad was an archaeologist. He liked to see every single thing. I want to I reiterate, I'm nine. Right? So I'm done with museums. And this is before, this is in the days where you couldn't hand a kid a cell phone and say, you know, take care of yourself. So he was like, oh, look, it's the bust of Claudius Flavius. And I was like, oh. And he'd be like, oh, look, it's Caesar's bust. And I'm like, oh. And he's look at this tapestry. And I'm like, no. Horrific. Well, at the end of the middle of the second day, we, we go to this door and there's this long line. And my dad says, you're going to love this. We're going to go to Sistine Chapel. And I'm like, I've seen 16 chapels. I don't need to see any more chapels. And he's like, no, it's the Sistine. And I'm like, no, that's what I said, the 16. He's like, Sistine. I'm like, listen, I don't have a lisp. So we wait. We wait in this line two, three hours. I can't remember how long it was. It could have been 30 minutes. I was nine. I have no idea. I had no concept of time even. Right? We finally get up close to the front. We're not the ones coming in yet, but we're finally up close to the front and the door opens and this nun walks out. And, and so I look over and there's just people milling around, but I see like there's paintings everywhere and I couldn't really see and I'm looking and she goes, because nuns are mean. <laughs> At least that one was. So I back up, she closes the door. We wait another 20 minutes, 50 more people leave and they let us in. And I remember walking in trying to drink that in the overwhelming work of Michelangelo, which, you know, when he, when he painted that, the church was like, oh, of the devil. Because the church has never done innovation super well. But as I'm looking through the whole thing, I, I look up and I see that, that famous, you know, center point of God reaching down to humanity, straining down to humanity. And it kind of took my breath away. And so I'm just nine years old looking. But I wasn't happy with my view. And so I thought, well, I want to see the whole expanse of this because I, it's hard for me to breathe in what God is doing in this one little take of me staring at this thing. I want to see the whole expanse, the whole of history that has been painted here because I know God's been doing amazing things for, amazing, for an amazing amount of time. And so I remember I laid down right in the middle of the Sistine Chapel, staring straight up. And all I could see is that hand reaching out. God inviting us to do something new, to do something amazing. Because God wants to be embedded into all of our endeavors. But that means if you're going to include God in what you do, you better be ready to move because God is not static. And that's the amazing thing about what Michelangelo did. God looks as if he's floating, straining, and has for a thousand years, seeking to reach hold of man and says, I am doing something. At what point are you going to grab my hand and do it with me? 
And I remember just looking up there, getting lost in it, hundreds of people around, but I didn't see them until the nun showed up and started screaming at me in Italian, which I do not speak. And my dad runs over and picks me up. You can't lie down in the Sistine Chapel. And I thought, that's silly. Because that's the only way to take the whole thing in and recognize that God is reaching down. He's reaching down long and he's reaching down hard. He's straining that we might grab a hold of him. If the new humanity is to be in the image of God, the new humanity must be innovators because crisis forces us to improvise. And every time I see someone walk away from God, I believe that we're in a crisis. I believe that we're in a crisis of loss and a crisis of faith. And I wanna be involved in communities that are not willing to let one person walk out the door and be okay with it. Who will do everything they can to continue to share the gospel in church, out of church, mostly out of church. You spend most of your time there. People who are willing, I wanna be with people who are willing to make, make their homes churches and make their work churches to be overflowing this amazing gospel that we have that's coming from their heart to the people that they have influence with. I wanna be a church that baptizes. I wanna be a church that celebrates. I wanna be a church that drinks in the narrative of everyone here and says this is part of our story, which is all part of God's story. The new humanity, dreamers, unifiers, innovators, unafraid to fail as long as we're failing forward and hearing what God has for us as we fail. My hope is that the churches that call themselves Crosswalk will always be great places of innovation, creativity, places where, where you can try crazy things and when they fail, we go, <laughs> let me help you out. Because we will not leave a brother or sister down. That's what it means for me to be part of what Crosswalk is doing right now. And we will lean into this as long as God is using us. And when we become too arrogant or we become too, too focused on ourselves, when we become too, too amazed at what we can do, that's when God will go, hey, thanks, appreciate it. You guys can keep doing what you're doing. It still honors me. But I got to go use a group of people that are ready to move. Let's be innovators who are ready to move when God calls. Because I believe that he's elected us for this time right now to create something amazing for him. I hope that's why you're here. I hope that's why you come back. Because you know that God can do more and we wanna be part of that more. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for innovating us. Thank you for working our bones and our muscles and our sinews out of nothing and creating them to be. Lord, may we always recognize that you preceded us and Lord, may we always lean into the fact that you have more for us and that you need more from us. That creativity, that innovation that binds us to you because we are doing it for your gospel to overwhelmingly share who you are to everyone in the world, Lord. So Lord, 
let us never become complacent. Let us never become okay with what we've done, but let us always strive for more, overwhelmingly, unrelentingly, and yes, Lord, even recklessly seeking you. May our communities become beacons in their broader communities because we have learned to love and we have learned to love well. We pray these things in your holy, your precious, your powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.